Hey friends, Heisenberg here. I want to welcome you to Finding Home. That's A-U-N, Awareness, Understanding, and Mastery. See, this is a podcast about optimizing our mental health by incorporating spirituality and other concepts to live a more meaningful life. You see, it's kind of like distilling concepts that are essential to living in a psychologically-minded way and distilling these concepts to 99.9% purity, just like the work I did. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Prashant Sharma, a psychiatrist and someone who wants to bridge the gap between spirituality and science. Enjoy the show. And remember, folks, I'm the one who knocks. Welcome back to the show, folks. And thank you, Heisenberg, for that awesome and chilling intro. Today, I wanted to tackle a topic that is important for many different reasons, including the future of society, and that is our prison system. Obviously, this is a vast topic, and I couldn't do justice to it in one episode, so I'm going to look at our prison system from a psychologically-minded perspective, especially extreme techniques used in our country like solitary confinement. And the reason why it impacts our whole society and future will be clear. So the first thing that we want to know about our prison system, and keep in mind, this is not my opinion, but rather a fact, is that the prison system in the United States is based wholly on punishment rather than rehabilitation. Rehabilitation may be in the prison language, but that is certainly not the goal. We can tell this by the way of what is available and what is not available, and what the conditions are like in prison. Now, I realize this varies among different correctional systems, but I'm talking about the vast majority. So if you're a warden of a correctional system focused on rehabilitation, that's fantastic. Interestingly, until the 1970s, rehabilitation was a significant component of U.S. prison policy. Prisoners were encouraged to develop job skills, resolve psychiatric or psychological problems, reduce addiction, reduce aggression, basically to fix anything that would not be compatible with them reintegrating into society. Since then, though, things have changed because of the approach taken to be more tough on crime. This created a drastic growth in the prison population, but only had a modest effect on crime rates. Interestingly, the U.S. has a higher percentage of the population in the criminal justice system than any other developed country. So, what's going on? There are a lot of factors going on, including the war on drugs, harsher prison sentences, mandatory minimums, and more. But tackling it from a mental health perspective, when the state psychiatric hospitals mostly closed down or reduced, a lot of those patients went back into the community, which of course was theoretically good, as many were mistreated in state facilities. However, in the 1980s, many of the mentally ill who had left mental institutions in the previous two decades began entering the criminal justice system. This is a big reason for 15 to 20% of people in prison being mentally ill, although that figure is likely a huge underestimation of the real numbers. That percentage is likely much higher. So, in effect, prison systems are having to deal with inmates with severe mental illness which they're not equipped to do overall, certainly not the corrections officers who deal with inmates on a daily basis or the people who set the policies within the prison. 
I can tell you this from the experience of having countless patients who told me about their experiences in the prison system. Most of them were not treated for their psychiatric symptoms in prison, and certainly all of them were not adequately treated while in the prison system. It was only when they left prison that they received treatment from outpatient clinics or regular civilian inpatient psychiatric facilities. Now, this is even more problematic when we remind ourselves that the prison system as a whole is punitive in nature, and the system is motivated to continue punishing prisoners. We know statistics from 2019 that show that 8% of our prison population is in private prisons, who, of course, are incentivized to increase their numbers. Since 2000, the number of people housed in private prisons has increased 32%, compared to an overall rise in the total prison population of only 3%. This issue of private prisons is something we need to keep in mind. Now, you might be asking, well, Prashant, punishment, doesn't it work? Doesn't it discourage people from bad behavior by making their circumstances so terrible while they're in prison that they never want to return? Theoretically, you would think so. But unfortunately, the recidivism rate in the United States, which is the percentage of people who re-offend and end up back in the prison, is 44%. So, 44% of criminals released return to prison within their first year out. So obviously, what we're doing is not working. And I wanted to tackle a specific and very concerning issue. It's a practice that was used on 50,000 people in the United States just in the summer of 2022, and that is solitary confinement. Within that group, 6,000 prisoners have been held in isolation for over a year, and about 1,000 people have been there for more than a decade. Think about that for a second. Isolation for 22 to 23 hours of the day for years. Keep in mind, during the pandemic, people were under these circumstances and it resulted in significant psychiatric problems. What is even more concerning is that individuals have been held in solitary confinement for more than a year when they haven't even been convicted of a crime. Yes, that is a fact. Take the case of Khalif Browder. He was accused of stealing a backpack, and he was held in solitary confinement for nearly two years without being convicted of a crime. His case was continued over 28 times when he was at Rikers, suffering abuse from uh, corrections officers, suffering abuse from other inmates. And guess what? He was 16 years old when they put him in prison. What's even more shocking? His case was eventually dismissed since the accuser left the country. He was released from prison after being detained for three years, but the damage was done. At age 22, Khalif Browder committed suicide, and this was all on a charge of stealing a backpack. Now, I want to acknowledge that there has been a push to decrease solitary confinement, even some states that have banned the practice, especially since it's considered a form of torture by the United Nations. But what is solitary confinement? There are different forms of it, but isolation from human contact for 22 to 24 hours per day is a common theme. There are different terms for it, including segregation, isolation, lockdown. Segregation is a very disturbing word choice, especially since the U.S. consists of 13% African Americans in the general population, but the prison population consists of 38% African Americans. Contact with family or visitors is restricted in solitary confinement or denied altogether even though contact with family is an important factor in successful rehabilitation. 
This practice is concerning for many reasons, which we will get into. But as I learned about this, it actually reminded me of something specific. As most of you know, I was in the military in the past, and I happened to go through a version of SEER training, which stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. It's basically a course, if you will, designed to train you on how to survive if you're captured by the enemy, or maybe you find yourself in a foreign country with people after you. The R, or resistance part, involves you being placed in different scenarios and needing to resist torture. I can't discuss anything else in detail since the training is classified, but I immediately thought of that training, which is bad since that training was specifically about how to resist torture. How to resist torture that would be inflicted upon us by hostile forces, certainly not our own country. You guys know I like evidence, so what does the data show? Looking at 4,604 total post-release deaths from 2000 to 2016, these are folks who were in solitary. 6% died by suicide compared to 4% in the regular prison population, 16% by homicide compared to 7%. People who have been in solitary confinement routinely develop severe psychiatric symptoms including hallucinations, illusions, severe panic attacks, problems with thinking, concentration, memory impairment, obsessive tendencies, paranoia, aggression, problems with impulse control, and even delirium. Individuals who are held in solitary confinement long-term continuously experience a loss of basic skills, including a sense of direction. And these effects are long-lasting for years, and often people's entire lives. Think again about the pandemic and what the effects of that isolation had on people's minds, how it resulted in depression and anxiety and different disorders. We need to keep that in mind and just multiply that by a hundred when we're thinking about solitary confinement. Thinking about someone who has been released from prison, who had been in solitary confinement, if they're experiencing paranoia, aggression, hallucinations, there is certainly a higher chance of them having a run-in with the law. Keep in mind, many of these individuals never had a history of psychiatric illness before they entered prison. They developed the symptoms in prison. Khalif Browder, who I mentioned before, after being released for a charge he was never convicted for, when he came home, he suffered from all of these concerning symptoms, which is understandable. You take a kid who is 16 years old and you put him in that environment. There is no way he leaves that situation without psychiatric symptoms. All right, so you're probably thinking, it's easy to complain, but what's the solution? Well, there is a lot of work being done in this area, including research, and it all comes down to using evidence-based programs to change behavior. Prison itself doesn't change behavior, rather, evidence-based programming does. This includes cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, literacy programs, occupational education programs, anger management, and a host of other strategies. There are prison systems that have created a school district within the prison focused on education, focused on teaching prisoner skills, skills that they can then take and use in the community once they have served their time. Believe it or not, there are specific programs designed for specific situations. This includes changing criminal thinking, addressing antisocial behavior, reversing behavior for the first-time offenders, illness recovery, social skills, training for schizophrenia, substance abuse treatment, the list goes on. But we need more funding and advocacy for these programs. 
all of this is aimed at reducing recidivism, right? So keeping people out of prison successfully. Keep in mind, this is research done by independent institutions, the Bureau of Prisons, Justice Department, state governments, and more. These are reliable organizations. In the Justice Department's website, I was happy to read that they're reducing the use of solitary confinement and phasing out the Bureau of Prisons' use of private prisons. The goal is to end the use of private prisons completely. This is good, as an institution like that should not be driven by profit. You guys know I love meditation and mindfulness. There is evidence for this as well in prisons. Specifically, the well-known mindfulness-based stress reduction program. In one study, this was implemented in five prisons, including 22 inmates convicted of violent crimes. They measured stress responsivity, coping style, impulse control, aggression, and self-esteem. Staff members and instructors were interviewed as well since they participated in the program and research. Both participants and instructors and prison staff reported improvements in all the address domains. Instructors and staff noticed changes in behavior with high scores when grading the actual percentage change in behavior. Other studies have shown that after finishing a two-year certification for inmates, now these are folks who went in with high levels of stress and anxiety when compared to the average population, by the time they left the program, their anxiety and stress had reduced to those consistent with the average U.S. worker. Program participants were also less likely to use illicit substances. Another study with a larger sample size, 1,350 inmates, had similar results with improvement in hostility, self-esteem, and mood disturbance. Even inmates doing a shorter 20 to 24 week meditation program showed a reduction in insomnia, anger management capabilities, stress, and anxiety. There is a ton more research on this as well as other forms of meditation, including transcendental meditation, vipassana, and others. So I'm thinking you already get the picture of how and why this impacts society. You hear news every day about people reoffending, going back into the prison system, how poor the conditions are, how the conditions reinforce the same behaviors. And it's the system itself. I'm not blaming any one person. I have had patients who are former prisoners, just the same as I've had patients who are former correctional officers. Both have seen some of the most horrific things occur during their time in the prison system, whether it's serving time or working there. So. What we need to do is change the system and change the interventions. If we can be more psychologically minded in the approach to rehabilitating prisoners, we can be much more successful in that goal of getting them reintegrated into society. I realize I'm just scratching the surface here, but hopefully this helps in our understanding of the system, its issues, and what might be involved in improving things. Heisenberg here again. All right, folks, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. The podcast is available on Google, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. Remember, I want this podcast to take off because I am in the empire business. For now, have a wonderful rest of your week, and till next time, friends. <laughs>